Welcome to Deep Talk, the podcast for advanced English learners who are looking to explore something a little bit deeper. Welcome to this, our 19th episode of Deep Talk. I'm Rhiannon, an English coach and your host. As I record this intro on the 29th of December 2022, I, like many folks, am in a reflective mood. Looking back on the year, what went well, what challenges I faced, what energy I want to take into next year, what I'd like to turn the volume down on, etc. And that is why I chose the conversation you're about to listen to for this episode, because we hit on some really important themes and questions. So, Today we're talking with Duncan, my old director of studies at the last language school I worked at before COVID. He is really passionate about film and he's super knowledgeable. I used to spend hours after classes were over, sat in the staff room with him talking about whatever he had watched recently or that I'd seen. He watched about 10 times more films than me, so mostly it was things that he had seen. And when I invited him on as a guest, I thought, well, we should talk about film or something film related. So he chose a film that came out not long ago. It's a British film. It's called Living. I haven't yet had a chance to see it, but I I really should. And I recommend you take a look as well. Duncan has shared the trailer for both it and the film it's based on. You can find the links to those in the episode description. He also shared um, an interview with the main character, with the main character, with the main actor, Bill Nye, which you'll also find in the episode description. As always, I do suggest checking them out before you listen, especially if you think you might struggle to follow the conversation, because they can give you some really useful context, but our chat should still make sense without it. The conversation that we had was rather wide ranging. We talk about acting and performance and Bill Nye's um, view on it, which you hear about in the interview shared. We also talk about representation in film and TV, representation of trans people, of people of colour, We, of course, discuss the film, Living, and the main question it raises, which is, what would you do if you found out you only had a short time left to live? I hope you enjoy today's conversation, and if you want to talk more about this episode, get yourself into the Deep Talkers Facebook group. For now, though, on with the show. Duncan is the Director of Studies of an English language school in Glasgow, Scotland. He is also my old boss. As an educator, he's passionate about helping students achieve their goals. In his spare time, he likes reading, listening to music and going to the cinema, as well as cycling and hill walking, although not at the moment because it is a little bit cold. He's chosen to take the starting point of our conversation today from a film released in November of this year, 2022, called Living. He shared with us an interview with the actor playing the main character, Bill Nye, a trailer to Living, and the trailer to Ikiru, the 1950s Japanese film that Living is based on. You, as always, can find the links to these in the episode description. Let's start with that BAFTA guru interview with Bill Nye, Duncan. What in Nye's answers made you want to talk about this interview today? Well, um, I've been a fan of Bill Nye's for years. I think he's a wonderful actor. He um, he's been in a whole range of films from um, from Pirates of the Caribbean to to Living, um, mm-hmm. playing a range of characters. He's been a spy. Um, he's been a newspaper editor. Um, he's been a faded pop star, and I think it was Love Actually. I think he was in. Um, I just think he's a wonderful actor. I love his voice. I love his. I like his sort of just 
his style. He's, he's very relaxed, mm-hmm. quite laid back. He can express a lot of um, he can express a lot of emotion in in a look. Um, he's described as a as a king of the double look, um, where he'll he'll sort of say interact with another actor and look away and then just look back, sort of raise his eyes or whatever, and it, and it conveys a lot of meaning in the context of the film. Anyway, um, what I really like, well, I, I'll tell you, it was a link from an, um, a newspaper interview um, that I read um, after I read the review of the film Living. Um, right, okay. And I was interested in Living, not just because he was in it, but because uh, the earlier Kurosawa film, the Japanese version, was one of my, it's one of my top 10 great films. It's absolutely wonderful. Um, and it, it, in fact, is also, it's based on an earlier uh, novella by um, uh, Tolstoy, called the, the uh, death of Ivan Illich oh, okay. and, the, and the, the theme is the same all the way in all, all three versions there are other versions as well I believe but uh, those are the three that I'm familiar with anyway I went to that was intrigued to hear him talking about acting um, and what I really liked about it and I've shared this I shared it with my daughter who's a performer I've shared it with friends who were trained as actors um, it's the fact that he his his sort of understanding of what acting is is very much what I have as my understanding. It's it's performance. It's not real. It's you know it's, mm. it's people pretending to be something they are not, and they can be more or less convincing. Um, and I and I I I, I, I have great deal of sympathy with his. I think what he sees is a rejection of the psycho psychology the psychoanalytic or, or something. Yeah. You know, the psycho side of it yeah of acting as a way of um being someone else when it's a job you know you, you, right. it's, it's separate from what your normal life um would be um and I, I just i just it struck a chord with me and i thought yes that's i, I totally agree with you in that, in that sense you an actor is not whatever the character and I, i've heard other actors um complaining how identified they get with certain characters mm-hmm. when it's not them and people approach them and, and they talk to them as if they were the characters, the, the, the main, the leads in the Harry Potter films, for example, mm-hmm. um, I've heard them say that um, Maggie Smith and um, the guy who played Snape who died not so long ago. Alan Rickman. Uh, Alan Rickman, that's right. Um, they were in a play in Ireland together and they were besieged by teenage fa- fans. Right. Um, who weren't interested in the play they were actually in, but they wanted to know Harry Potter, you know, and they, so, but that, that comes with, I guess, success in a role. Yeah. What I really like about Bill Nye is, you know, he, he's quite clear that's not him. Mm. Um, he, he is just working. It's a job. Yeah. When he describes, you know, a woman comes up to him after a show and says, I'm mm. really struggling with my drama school mm. because of the feelings. I can't mm. get the feelings. The teacher wants me to feel things. Mm. And when he just responds, like when I'm on stage, I'm not feeling it, I'm working. And it exactly. just seemed, because I think I'm perhaps more used to the mythology around acting mm. and the the stories of method actors. And I recently saw a clip where Jennifer Lawrence is being interviewed about her role in Mother, which I haven't seen, um, but is apparently a very, very difficult film. And she says, like, I would never go there again because I just felt so terrible in that role. Um, you know, I've done that. Thank you very much, but I'm never doing that kind of thing again. So I'm so familiar with that type of relationship with acting. So to have someone say, 
I'm eating this and I'm holding her hand and I'm opening a door at this particular queue. It just really broke it down mm. into kind of the mechanics of it. And yet, yeah. obviously, he's so talented. That's, yes. you know, you can't and, doubt that. Yes. And uh, yeah, and he, he he's obviously one of those actors who believes, you know, the, the script is is critical, central to the whole business. And mm. I, I, I agree, it's a text. And it has to be, inter- has to be performed and interpreted by the the, the um the actors um but um i mean the, it's interesting you mentioned that jennifer jennifer lawrence um i have seen that film and it is have quite you? it is a very intense so i can yeah. imagine it might affect people who are in it um but it also it reminds me of another possibly apocryphal story about Lawrence olivier and dustin hoffman they were in a film i think it was um uh boys from brazil um okay. when um Lawrence olivier played a, a, a um an escaped nazi dentist and he was torture he tortures Dustin Hoffman, and one of the um, one of the scenes required Dustin Hoffman to behave as if he'd not slept. He, um, he'd been deprived of sleep um, as part of the torturing. And he is a method actor, and to get right. into the character, he didn't sleep for sixty hours. And he came, when he came on on stage, he, on set rather, he was very woozy and a little disorientated. And Laurence Olivier, who's old school, much more like Bill Nye. Um, mm-hmm. When when he heard the explanation for this, he he said, or probably said to him, "Why don't you just try acting, dear boy? <laughs> acting, you know, it's it's not real. And it's not real, you know. It's not, um, and it's it, there's a whole a whole school of or schools, I guess, of that kind of approach. But I just I just it chimed with me, um, mm. because for me, you know, when um, people talk about you know. Um, performances they are performances they're not they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're not um they're not they, well hopefully you know, especially you know, for example anthony hopkins playing hannibal lecter you do you certainly hope <laughs> he was just acting yeah know? i'm gonna try um, out cannibalism for real see how i like it i wonder um, i wonder just i hadn't made this connection before you started speaking but i wonder now if you would connect that with the question around like representation in acting and whether like like trans actors should be cast in trans roles or whether it's absolutely fine for a cis actor to play a trans person because it is acting. Um, Where would you stand on that debate? I mean, I'm not asking you to kind of put your flag in the ground here, but. No, 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 it's, no, you're right. I mean, it does, it follows, it does follow on. And it's a very, I would stand on the edge of that debate because it is so charged at the moment. I mean, not Mm. just, because you can go back I mean, the current, issue of the moment um, is the acceptance and uh, normalization of trans persons but if you look at people with physical or mental handicap Mm -hmm. you know um, uh, Daniel Day-Lewis was 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 praised initially for his performance as a a quadriplegic in my Mm -hmm. left foot Um, but subsequently it's heavily criticized because there were quadriplegic actors who could right. have done the role even then you know there were obviously mm-hmm. there were many of them there are more now um so you know and um it's the same with people of color for example i, I went to see the the last year i think it was um the, uh, one of the Cohen brothers made a, a version of macbeth okay denzel washington playing macbeth now, denzel washington is obviously black yes, macbeth probably wasn't but we but macbeth was a real person but um mm-hmm. He's, the character in the, in the play, of course, is not is based on the real person, um, and I find myself it, it's totally irrelevant. But it, it's also it, it's connected to the issue of colorblind casting, and mm-hmm. because but um, you know things about where it's obvious 
you know, say for example, Denzel Washington is black. He's playing a character who hitherto has traditionally has not been mm-hmm. has not been you know and then you, you can then go to the other Shakespearean characters um in Othello um mm-hmm. Othello should be uh, if not black you know a person of color because he was a North African uh, to go back to Alonso Olivier he infamously blacked up to play the role because that's what Oof. that's what people did in that time at that time yeah because he was supposed to be black um and there were black actors around who could have done it, you know. So it's, I don't know. It's, you know, it's, so they are acting and some, somehow on one level, you could say the superficial characteristics mm. are not relevant if they can convince you in the performance that they are. Right. They are the, the character. Um, but um, given all the discriminations around for you know, forever, marginal, mm-hmm. marginalized or, or, or um, minority groups you think well they should be getting a break you know so possibly you know it's not it's like i don't know if it's the opposite of colorblind casting color aware casting you might you might call Mm -hmm. it uh, decide to say i I think you know bridgerton i've never seen bridgerton but i believe phenomenal you're missing out it had i think there was a deliberate intent approach there taken to ignore Mm -hmm. the superficial characteristics of the actors and just put them in roles yes and some people that I, I've heard say this is a great thing, and other people are saying it's it's a kind of it's just superficially, you know, correct. Um, yeah. It's complicated. It is. It but is. I, it's complicated. Know, I don't know. You know. <laughs> I mean, I think. I mean, I saw. Um, there's a, a brilliant South American film. Oh God, I can't remember. It's, it's by about a, a trans woman who. Um, is it called a, a special woman, a, a peculiar woman? It's been, it was remade, okay. of course, as all successful foreign language films are in English <laughs> in Hollywood. It's, a, it's South American. It's about a, a trans woman who has a relationship with a, bus- a wealthy businessman who un- unfortunately dies in her, in her, in her arms. Mm-hmm. Um, and she is, as, um, the family don't want to know. Right. And he's, he's, it's been a long and loving and stable relationship with it between her and the de- the person who dies, and the film's all about r- r- the marginalisation of of trans people. It's a oh, I can't it's called. It's a, it's a it's a wonderful film. It's, it brings tears to your eyes. But it was <laughs> I also, can't remember the name, but it's great. <laughs> no, I'll get. Um, I, we can research and put it in the episode description afterwards. So, but you know, I think I don't know. It's uh, you know, it's again this question of you know, can. Um, can you get insight if you're if you're not of that person's real background? I do air quotes there. You know the characters mm. real, but you are acting. Can you get inside the character? I'm, I'm kind of I'm I'm going round. Yeah. I, I I don't know is the answer really. What's the what's the, what's the <laughs> I think for me, thing? I mean, I would give everyone a break. That's my view. Is you know, <laughs> I think that's where my line is drawn as well. I think if you are a talented actor, you should be able to pretend anything. It's not a question for me of can you act it? Can you give a good performance? But more a question of why are you getting given a role when there are talented people out there who could actually bring something personal to this and and especially people who may because they're trans because they're people of color be missing out on other roles and then a role comes along where they actually can fill it and they don't get it and it goes to you know a yeah, straight white yeah. person no, I, um, it I, would yeah i would these days i guess i would i would look for someone who had the physical characteristics 
that the role required. And if that meant they had to, had to be in, mm-hmm. you know, in a wheelchair or or they were you know, a, a trans person, I think my, 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 my baseline would be, you know, give everyone an even break. And if you have the characteristics for that role and you can do it, then you should get mm-hmm. the job, basically. And it shouldn't be someone who has yeah. to, in some way, change themselves um, unnecessarily. To move the conversation now on the to film, the yes. film that he was yes, recently so. in. It was released about six weeks ago called Living, which you have seen and I have not seen but have read and listened to reviews of. So I sort of know what it's about. Tell us about it. Well, um, very briefly, it's as as we've said earlier on, it's based on earlier um, iterations of the story. But essentially, you have a, bureau, a, bureau, a, a career bureaucrat, hard word to say, um, mm-hmm. who has spent his life pushing paper around um, and not really achieving much, um, who has a, a rather lonely personal life. Um, he's, he's in, his, in his work life, he's part of a hierarchical organization where he is at the top. Um, but everyone, it's very right. deferential, very ritualistic um, and very, very, very controlled. Mm-hmm. Um, at home, he has a son and a daughter-in-law. His wife has died and... It's very clear mm. he's lonely. Um, he doesn't have much of a relationship with his son or, or daughter-in-law, and he misses his wife. Um, and he goes to see a doctor, um, and he's given a terminal diagnosis by the doctor. He's, he's told he only has a, a short time to live. And he receives it stoically, and um, basically... So just sits there and wonders what to do, and then he, he kind of says, what, what, what's, to, "What's to be done?" And the doctor basically says, "Live a little." And, and, he, and he looks at him, and you can see he's not quite sure what that means. And he wanders off, and he absents himself from work for the first time ever in his career. Um, and his colleagues are rather puzzled about it. Initially, they get a bit worried there might be some. You can see in the trailer, like, should we call the police? He's only a few hours late for work. Yeah, but it's him. You know, his life is is, rig- is regimented, rigid, like clockwork. So he deviates from that. And he ends up going, he obviously has some idea of what living is about. And he goes to the South Coast. It's, the, the film is set in 1950s London. So it's probably Brighton or somewhere like that in the South Coast of England. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, um, he meets up with a, a rather dodgy character who's a who's a, a writer <laughs> living in the south coast um who takes him under his wing he explains what the what his problem is and that he wants to he wants to live a little so the the writer takes him out to the, takes him to the pub gets him drunk takes him to some kind of burlesque show he meets a few dodgy low-life characters um he uh he sings a song, it's a traditional Scottish song called The Rowan Tree, which is very affecting. It's a perfect song for the film. Um, and he, he breaks down halfway through it and dashes out because he says he's come to the realisation that this is not, this, it's a version of living, but not really what he's looking for. He then goes back up to this, the, uh, the city and meets a colleague, a, a young woman, the only, the only uh, who was a, an oddity in the, in the office because she's young, female, 
vibrant, lively, I mean, really with a good sense of humor, good line in comedy. And, but she, they bump into each other in the street and he then goes off to have tea with her. Um, and there's an interaction with her and he starts to realize that you know, she has, in his eyes, the secret of living. She's so joyful. And he tries to get it from her. Anyway, he ends up going back to work. And he, he hits upon this idea that he will, he will actually enable a project that he has been blocking, actively bureaucratically blocking, which is to convert uh, a bomb site in, in some part of the East End of London into a children's playground. And he does everything to the opposite of what he'd done before. Um, he's, he facilitates it. He cuts through all the bureaucracy. Um, he just makes everybody else bend to his will, which is to create this thing. Um, and he, he succeeds. Creates a I mean, playground. spoiler, Duncan, but... <laughs> well, it's, it's not that. I mean, it's, it's the journey that is actually what the film's... Yeah. Um, he, he does die as well. No, that's another. <laughs> he does die. He really has got a terminal illness. Anyway, and he, he leaves something worthwhile mm -hmm. behind. And he sees that as a, an achievement. Um, his colleagues, um, having realised what's been going on, uh, they determine at his funeral that they will change. They will stop being these faceless, mm. pointless bureaucrats. Um, but within 24 hours, back to, back to type. And it's, it's a bit of a down at the end. Anyway, it's a wonderful film. Um, and it, 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 I mean, it reduced me to tears. It has, has Yeah, you're not the only one I've heard who, who cried in it. If you're enjoying this and the other conversations we have here on the Deep Talk podcast, you may be interested to know that its big sister, the Deep Talk discussion program, is starting up again in January and spaces are available now. This 10-week program is a unique environment where you not only have fascinating, intelligent conversations each and every week on a wide range of topics that you choose, but it also includes group coaching, and this is where it excels over any other speaking program you may have participated in before. These coaching sessions are designed to identify, break down and rebuild all those unhelpful beliefs you have been holding onto about English in general and your English in particular. If you're feeling blocked with your language, you will want to check this program out. Head over to my website, you'll find all the details, including what past members have said about their experience and how it helped them. We're starting on January 16th. I would love to work with you there. Right, back to the conversation. And it's a straight, it's basically a straight retelling of the Japanese mm. story, which is a, was a, an elaborated version of the original Russian short story. Um, there are several strands of um, interest in, in the two films. One really interesting uh, thing they have in common is that the, the uh, English society in the 1950s was very like Japanese society, very reserved, mm. um, lots of bureaucracy, families were being were in turmoil post-war post and so on. So there's lots of those issues going on there. But... But the, the main one, of course, is what would you do if you were, yeah. were confronted with this kind of diagnosis? And the, the conventional view is that you, you kind of review your life and then try and do something good, which is what the films, uh, the, the line that they take. Uh, mm -hmm. And I just find it a fascinating question because I don't know. You know, I, I, I don't <laughs> know what I would do. You know, I mean, would, would, yeah. um, 
I'd probably get a second opinion. That's the first thing I would do. <laughs> Are you sure? You know, mistakes have been made before. Let's check. Um, but the um, the idea of of so drastically changing the way you had lived your life to do something positive for others, a, a self-attack mm. in a way. But it's also selfish in that you are, I think, you're creating a, a, a feeling of immortality because whatever you do will live on after you've you've gone. And if other people know that you did it, then, you know, your memory and so on it mm, mm-hmm. will be in some way elevated. And, and I guess that's the whole question of like, <clears> when you do good for others, are you doing it for others or are you doing it well, exactly. for yourself? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think, I think in both films, the, the, um, the point that one of the points is made is that these, these characters have decided they have not lived a life worth living to, quote an older um, saying and they want to do something about it and they realize they have a chance and they take it and that's what's really i think what, what certainly moved me in in the films um mm. they they were they had they found this you know even in you know the, the most awful conditions you know where you, you know you, you're dying you know you're dying they did something that would other people thought was out of character but you thought well they had they obviously had it in them to do this and uh, but it's it's interesting you say in the worst of conditions because it is that very condition that allowed them mm. to do it. So it's almost a, like, I guess one of the things I was thinking about was like, do you need that kind of, if you want to like really turn your life around, like, do you need that moment mm. of kind of the very worst mm. hearing that you're going to die something, I don't know, your partner leaving you, mm. somebody in your life dying, like, do you need something really big mm to trigger that Mm. because as you said you know those men went to the funeral and they said this is an inspiration you know we're going to change but actually they hadn't had that big Mm. emotional Mm. kind of journey to get them there and so they went straight back to their old life very easily they they took the easy course you know there's a way Mm -hmm. whatever you know which is just to go back to what they were doing because it it suited you know well they could live with that um i don't know because it, it does actually it does offer alternatives. So, for example, the, the hedonistic, pleasure-filled moments of you know, possibly mm. where he goes to the pub and get does things he never, never usually does, and then goes out and on the town and so on. Um, he realized. I think you get the impression he realized that wasn't fulfilling. That wasn't going to mm. to cut it really with him. He rejects that that hedonistic. So it's, so it's a moral tale in that sense as well. I think. Yeah. In the trailer for Ikiru, there's a little medley of him kind of saying, nope, not this. It's not this. It's not this. It's not this. Kind of ticking all the boxes of the sort of standard pleasure. And the characters, they they realize this themselves because it's dangled before them as a a temptation, I guess. Um, But they think, no, that's that's not what I'm looking Mm. for. Um, I just thought it was a wonderfully wonderfully made film. And a, a serious question that I I can't, I'm just in a position to, I don't think anyone could really answer it until it actually happened to them. You know, what if you, mm. you can speculate, but really it's, as you said, you know, you really do need that serious prod in the wrong direction to, to think, well, wait a minute, what, what can I do now? Yeah. Um, and it's just a wonderful exploration of it along with a number of other themes, but that's, that's the central one. Um, There's, um, a game that I used to play when I taught in language schools uh, called Zombies. And I think you might remember, I might have played it when you were there a couple of times. Um, but basically it's like a role-playing, a team role-playing game and they get points for 
dealing with different situations. It's sort I mean, it's Dungeons and Dragons adjacent in the way that it's played. Uh-huh. And my favorite thing about it was that the points were entirely arbitrary and made up by me. <laughs> so I'd be like, yeah, good answer. Five points. Didn't like your answer. One point. And at one point in the scenario, one of the team would get bitten and they would know that within 12 hours, like overnight, this person is going to turn into a zombie. Oh, fuck. (laughs) My chair just moved. Um, They would know that within about 12 hours, this person is going to turn into a zombie. Mm. How do you spend those 12 hours? And the teams would kind of go off and they'd get three or four minutes to discuss. And I remember one team, I don't know. I mean, I think it was teenagers. I don't know how they came up with this answer, but they were like, we're going to have a really nice dinner and we're going to talk about all the things we really like about this person. And then uh, someone is going to take them out into the garden and shoot them, but like in a really nice kind of way. And it was just so beautiful. It was just such a, I think they had really tapped into like what mattered Mm. about life was this connection, Mm. spending time Mm. together. And even in the midst of this like completely fictional imagined zombie game, Mm they were able to say well actually if this was my friend and i only had 12 hours left with Mm. them and we're in this abandoned farmhouse in the middle of nowhere or whatever this is what i would want to do i would want to just spend time with them and be with them um, and then shoot them in the back of the head It's really interesting you raise that though, because in the in the the, the film Living, um, the young female former colleague, um, when they're having tea, at, I think it's um, Claridge's or some fancy hotel, he she lets slip that they all ha- she has um, nicknames for all the, the members of staff, and she she rhymes, rhymes them off around the table, but then stops when it comes to him, and he and he's he, he finds them quite amusing, and then he wants to so what you know, what's my what's my nickname oh, um, so. She doesn't really want to say. I can't, I can't remember. And he said, "Quite." Well, he, he said, "Well, you might not like it. You might." Be. I said, "No, no, sir, I promise I won't be." He said, um, "You're, you're the zombie." <laughs> and he knows what a zombie is. So, he, and you can yeah. see this of the he does it, and his face is very expressive, even though it's quite. It's, well, he expresses the the um, the slight consternation that and he said, oh, this, that's that's not good. And then then he realizes, well, yes, I have I have not been living, or I've been. I have been mm-hmm. dead but alive. So, um, and then I guess he he could be thinking, well, I'm going to be really dead soon. So, <laughs> what am I going to do? So yeah, I it's just it's a wonderful film, wonderful performance, and leaves you thinking. I mean, it's very moving, and leaves everybody I think thinking, well, what would I do? I just I mean, I don't know. It's it's a really interesting question, and you know, people would they, very often people. I think um, when I've heard this question asked before, they come up with hedonistic. That, that's that's what people tend to go towards. I would quit my job and travel around the world. Yeah, you know, or do all the kind of things that um, I don't do now because they're bad for me, or because mm. they're frowned upon by society, or whatever. Um, um, and this story comes up with a the other the other approach, which is to do something good for others that will live on after my yeah. my death. Um, I suppose the the goody two shoes in me would like to be that kind of. That's what I'd like to think. I'd like to yeah. do. 
I'm not. I don't know if I'm I would. Really sure. I'm not really sure if I would either. You know, I think because in the end, we're all forgotten. I mean, you know, yeah, most people, you know, only live as long as the 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 people who who knew them live. Once once they've gone, most people you you disappear, and that's that's the way the way it is. Life is. Yeah, you have to you have to do something particularly good or particularly bad to be remembered. <laughs> For much beyond your, you know, I don't know, I suppose the 50 years after yeah. your, your death. But I was thinking about another kind of stat, kind of typical hypothetical question um, mm. that gets you to really think about like what it is that your life is mm. doing at the moment, which is kind of, you know, what would you do if you won the lottery? What would you do if mm. you won 500 million pounds? What about your life now would you keep in terms of like your job? your friends, your partner, like, would you still be married if you had 500 million pounds? Mm. Because suddenly the kind of cost of, oh gosh, the faff of splitting up the house and doing all that and solicitor's fees goes out the window. So would mm. you stay with them? And yeah, I think, especially when it comes to work, I often think that, yeah, I probably would still do a version of this, of mm. what I do, especially mm. now that I'm running my own business and, you know, I mean, mm. I'm not going to say I would have stayed at the language school where, where we work together. Mm. I might not have stayed there. Um, but now that I'm doing my own thing, I, I do mm. sort of think I probably would stay. I probably wouldn't for a year. I'd probably go off and do that hedonistic traveling around the world thing. Mm. But then I'd want something else. But that question also invites a reflection. Yeah, no, I, you're right, because it, it starts to make you really think about you know, what, what money, what meaning money has. Mm -hmm in your life and uh i suppose the the correct answer is give most of it away <laughs> to somebody because, you know because after, after a certain point in in terms of a certain amount of money extra doesn't really mean yeah. anything it's um and by all accounts that i've read or heard about those people who have lots and lots <laughs> of money um the, the worst thing that happens to them is they just want to keep it yeah. and, and get more yeah. Or are they really worry about not having mm -hmm. it? Which you think mm, it's not really. I mean, without not being not being in that position now, <laughs> I would find uh, I would I would judge myself. Yeah. You know, if I if I went to that because I think well, you know, I only need so much. But um, I imagine it would be much easier to give it away on day one than give yes. it away on day three six five. Yes, I think you probably get used yeah. to those numbers in your bank account. And it's. And, it, and uh, I mean, very often with the super rich, I mean, Elon Musk is a, a case in point. I mean, his his wealth has halved <laughs> to, to cover Twitter. I mean, he's, he's not, because every, everything's taken a dive and all the money's put up for that. And, but then he's still got rather a lot, you know, to fall back on. So yeah. it's not going to make that much. But, um, or, you know, Jeff Bezos, for another example, he's he's apparently, he's, um, he's promoting various charities, I believe. And I, I but I did read that, um, the best charity he could he could think about would be the, the know, Amazon be, workers. Well, or, or HMRC could pay his taxes. Oh, yeah, <laughs> um, you know, and would all benefit rather yeah. than just a select few. Um, but yes, his, his workers as well. You know, would be, <laughs> God, um, I've seen so many like calculations where it's like he could give all of his workers like an eighty thousand dollar bonus and still have exactly the same amount of money he had before the pandemic started. Yeah. I mean, it's no, just ridiculous. It's, Something um, I like a, the algorithm broke when it gave me this real suggestion on Instagram yesterday um, because mm. it's absolutely not my vibe at all. But it was like a kind of motivational speaker kind of saying the difference between different 
classes and how they mm. classes of people and how they see money and it was like working classes the working class see money as a way to pay the bills the middle classes see it as a way to kind of leverage against more money so that they can kind of get a house or like a mortgage or something like that mm. and the rich see money as a way to make more money mm. and like where in that i mean i feel like the working class example is probably the closest to any kind of meaningful exchange where it's like your money gets you something it pays mm. for a thing this mm. idea of the purpose of money being to make more money i'm like but what point do you get the things that the money should mm. be able to to offer you um, mm. there's a theory yeah. within kind of coaching around abundance and about gratitude and stuff like that about you know you need to be able to appreciate and value what you have now financially mm. speaking mm. like the money that you are making now even if it's as little humble <laughs> amount because if you can learn to appreciate that then when you have a million we say when optimistically if you ever get a million pounds then you will know how to appreciate it if you don't appreciate a twenty-five thousand pound salary you're not mm. going to have the capacity to appreciate a three hundred thousand pound salary mm. um and that's what I see a lot in that sort of extreme wealth hoarding making anyway we've kind of gone completely off topic but yeah no well well it's <laughs> yeah it's um I mean the connect I think the connecting idea is 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 what is what value things have in, mm. in a person's life really mm -hmm. um and you know the, at the most extreme end you know what value does life have wow for you um which uh, you know is one of the central themes of these these films and, and the story um so um yeah but i i would recommend it to anybody i think it's and, and different people will get different things out of it but mm -hmm. uh, i think it's the performances are great the story is is intriguing in, in the sense of the, that that proposition what would you do thank you so much for choosing this topic and for being here with us Right. Well, I appreciate being invited, and I, I recommend to anyone who hears this that they they go and see both films or, or either film, um, both if you can, um, and um, and think about what would you do <laughs> if you were in the same position as the the main character, the Bill Nye character in the film. What really matters? What has value in your life? Those are such relevant questions always, but especially at this time of year when we're taking stock and setting goals. I hope that conversation gave you something to think about and my thanks again to Duncan. You can find all the materials he shared in the episode description, along with an episode of a wonderful film podcast I listened to in which they discuss the film Living and the link to the trailer of that film that Duncan couldn't remember the name of. It's called A Fantastic Woman. He texted me as soon as we stopped recording. I mentioned in the middle there that Deep Talk, my signature discussion and coaching program, is starting again in January and I would love for you to be part of it. You will stretch your language, using it to talk about a wide range of challenging topics that you actually care about, unlike some exam topics I could mention, and you'll meet and connect deeply with folks from all over the world. If that sounds like something you would enjoy, and the added benefit of building a whole new relationship with English through coaching doesn't sound too shabby either, 
head over to my website where you can read more about it and sign up. There are limited spaces, so if you want a place, don't hesitate. That's all from me then. I hope you have a wonderful new year, and I will see you for episode 20, can you bloody believe it, in January. Love you loads. Bye.